you're in the Freedom Hut. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Get the latest from Buck at BuckSexton.com. Biden's national disaster at the border keeps getting worse. We're seeing this play out now across the country. We're seeing what this actually means in the media, how this is all going. They don't want you to know what's happening. They're trying to hide it from you. We'll get into that. Uh, But now we should all remember that this was exactly what we said would happen. This was anticipated that people were expecting this. This is this is not a in any meaningful way, a surprise effect. It's just maybe the numbers are bigger than we anticipated. The, the way that this is happening so quickly in the Biden administration has gone even beyond what they expected. But I don't think they have a problem with a de facto opening in our border. They don't want to call it an open border where there's a giant opening. Show up as a family unit and you get to stay. It's all you have to do. Show up as a family unit. You're going to get to stay. So they can talk about single adult males as much as they want. But what's happening is a flood of unaccompanied minors and family units. And they both get to stay those two categories of those who cross illegally at the border. And they don't want you to see this. They don't want you to know what's really happening. And that's part of the censorship of the Biden administration, which is a a huge challenge right now, given that journalists are in the Biden administration's pocket. Uh, But censorship on social media sites is also a major challenge. You know, the left wants to silence and remove any ideas, any voices they don't agree with. Twitter and Facebook were supposed to be open platforms. I don't need their content moderators acting like the op-ed section of The New York Times. So instead of letting social media sites revoke your right to free speech, how about revoking their right, their access to your data? Now, you could just deactivate all your social media accounts, but that gives the left what they want in the first place. So instead of doing that, I use ExpressVPN. All right. ExpressVPN anonymizes a lot of what you do online by hiding your IP address. That makes your activity a whole lot more difficult to trace and sell to advertisers. And ExpressVPN couldn't be easier to set up. You just tap one button on your phone or computer and you're protected. ExpressVPN also encrypts 100 percent of your data to protect you and hackers and Internet uh, protect you from hackers and Internet bad guys. It's time to finally say no to censorship and take back your online privacy. You need this. I've got it on my phone, on my devices. It's a must. Go to expressvpn.com slash buck. By visiting my special link, you'll get an extra three months of ExpressVPN service for free. Again, that's expressvpn.com slash buck. Expressvpn.com slash buck to protect your data today. Tens of millions of dollars of taxpayer money now going to hotels to house illegal immigrants who have come across the border and now cannot even be held in the overcrowded facilities at our southern border. So you are paying for it. That's that's what's going on right now. That's actually the the situation as it unfolds before us right now. The Biden administration can say as much as they want about this. Uh, But we know that eighty six million dollars has been contracted for hotel rooms for twelve hundred migrant families because they just simply have no space for them in these facilities. You got fourteen million dollars a day now going to the cartels. That's that's real money, even for the Mexican drug cartels. Fourteen million dollars a day. And why is this happening they, they're trying to hide from the truth. They're trying to blame this on other people. They're trying to tell you things that you can see obviously are not true. So instead of just 
listening to me, instead of basing it on my analysis or my assessment from up here in New York City, and I know you're listening all across the country, we could just go right to the source, couldn't we? Why, why not ask some of the migrants who are coming across the border why they're coming, what changed in their perception, why the numbers are exploding? You know, Democrats can't figure if it's better to pretend the numbers aren't that bad or they are so bad, but it's Trump's fault. Or they change the excuse every day. Here's ABC News' Martha Raddatz asking an illegal immigrant who crossed the border, why did you do this? Play one. We were there when a bus of 56 asylum seekers arrived at Casa Alitas, a Catholic charity shelter in Tucson. Men, pregnant women and children stepping off the bus with only what they could carry. This father, who asked that we not show his face, traveled to Mexico from Brazil with his wife and three young kids before crossing the border. Would you have tried to do this when Donald Trump was president? Definitely not. Definitely. We had the chance, you know, the, the same violence that is going on today was there last year. We used to watch the, the news and uh, I definitely won't do this. So did you come here because Joe Biden was elected president? Basically, basically. Uh, the main thing was the violence in my country. And the second thing I, I think was Joe Biden. There's violence in his country and there's Joe Biden. So why do you want to leave? Violence. Why are you coming? Joe Biden. Would you have come under Trump? Definitely not. Don't think I would have made it. Wouldn't have been able to come in. Now, I know you could say this is only one voice, but OK, we've got people showing up at the border wearing Biden let us in T-shirts. We have individuals who are interviewing with the press uh, who are giving interviews to the press and they're saying that it is because of Biden. And yet, what do you what do you think the primary the primary tool of distraction or putting the blame on somebody else, right? Well, who do you think they go to right away? Oh, that's right. It's the Trump administration. Play 17. We uh, will not uh, abandon our values and our principles. We will not abandon the needs of vulnerable children. That is what this is all about. We are executing uh, on our plan. It does take time. It is difficult. Uh, our plan includes the deployment of the Federal Emergency Management Administration, FEMA, to assist HHS in building its capacity more rapidly to shelter the children. But it is taking time and it is difficult because the entire system was dismantled by the prior administration. There was a system in place in both Republican and Democratic administrations that was torn down uh, during the Trump administration. And that is why the challenge is more acute than it ever has been before. He's saying more here than he intends to. Notice we had a crisis under the Trump administration because of the system, as he puts it, it was being exploited. So the Trump administration fixes it. And now you have DHS Secretary Mayorkas here bemoaning the fact that it was fixed, essentially. He says, oh, they tore down the system. We have to start from scratch. Right. Because the Democrat system is take as many unaccompanied minors at the border. And, you know, they keep saying, what about four year olds? A huge majority of the people showing up the border are 15, 16, 17, um, so they got to stop saying, what about three year olds? OK, we're, we're not heartless. No one's no one's saying that three year olds should be left to freeze or to starve. Um, but they have taken 
what's going on here and misrepresented it to the American people from the very beginning. If you show up as an unaccompanied minor or a family unit, you're overwhelmingly likely. I mean, it's, you know, 80, 90 percent likely you're going to be released in the American interior. You're going to be able to stay unless they figure out that you're actually recycling. That's the term they use. Children posing as parents, part of a cartel or something like that, or have a, a violent criminal history. They're going to let you in the United States. So what they're doing now is they're saying, well, it's not an open border because adult migrant males are if they show up solo, they'll be turned away. Right. What is the surge comprised of family units and unaccompanied minors? Why is that happening? Because they're responding directly to the incentives of the system and the Democrats do not want to change those incentives. They fundamentally do not believe that it's a problem that people are skipping the immigration line and coming into the country by abusing the asylum process. They could apply for refugee status in their home countries. They are choosing not to do so. Why is that? Because they don't want to wait. They don't want to have their claims adjudicated because a vast majority of the claims of asylum are not accepted. So the whole point, we can all see what's going on. The whole point is just find a way to get into America and then just disappear in the American interior, wait for amnesty. That's the whole game. All right, for for the overwhelming majority of people who are crossing illegally in the United States, it is illegal to cross, not at a port of entry. They can keep pretending like there's no illegality here. They're wrong. And the overwhelming majority of those people do not get final asylum because they are not really asylum seekers. They want to come to America, which I understand. But we have an immigration system for a reason. If Democrats want to allow this to continue, they should be honest with the American people and say, we believe if you show up as a family member and you and you have a story about why you should stay in the U.S. because of violence or whatever, you get to stay. Forget. But do you think that anyone's going to go through the migration or the immigration system in the rest of the world legally now to come into America? You'd be a fool waiting years and years. Go to Mexico, pay off the cartel, show up at the border, come into America with your family. It's that simple. So Democrats can't say that, even though that's the reality. So what do they say? Well, they pretend that they're telling migrants not to come. Play 16. Again, these are Democrats saying that the change in Biden administration policy is fueling the crisis. How do you respond? I respectfully disagree with them. Let me just say that we have a number of work streams in place. As I mentioned, we are dealing with the needs of the children now. Um, we are rebuilding orderly ways in which the children can make their claims without having to take the perilous journey to the border. Right. And we are uh, elevating our messaging uh, so that the uh, individuals do know that they cannot come to the border. The border is closed. What they argue is that the messaging isn't working and that, uh, dis- you know, despite that, Children and maybe even families are coming because they think that if they get here, the border will be open for them. That's causing the surge. Dana, we Dana, we are expelling families. We are expelling single adults. Uh, We have communicated and we will continue to communicate to the children. Do not come. Expelling families at what percentage? Because I think if you found out the number, you'd say, okay, so this guy is just a huge liar. Right. This guy's misrepresenting what's going on at the border. Really? They expelling families. Why are they all showing up? 
Why do they keep showing up? Right. The the immigration market here, so to speak, right, the the free market of of illegal immigration is speaking in the numbers up one hundred and eighty percent year over year for the last month. Enormous spike in in uh, unaccompanied minors. I mean, the 15,000 unaccompanied minors that are currently in custody, they're all going to be led into the United States. They're all being placed in the U.S. Okay, we know that. And none of them are going to be deported. So that's not true. How many how many of the families? What percentage of families? Someone should ask. Ah, but they're hiding the data. They're playing games. These people are liars, folks. This Democrat Biden administration, which is really just Obama's administration 3.0. They are lying about this to you. They cannot deal with the truth. And let me ask this question, which they will never give a real answer to. Why are they telling why are they turning migrants away? Right. They, they want to tell you they're doing that. But why are they doing that? Do they believe that these migrants aren't people that need help and aren't desperate and shouldn't be? So so some people shouldn't be led into the United States, even if they're perfectly law abiding, decent folks who just want a better life. And, you know, all the things we always hear. Why? Well, why is that the case? You know, if Democrats can't have it both ways, it can't be anybody can basically game the system and come into the country. But, oh, also, we don't want people. We're sending people away who try to do that. Well, Which one is it? Do you want to tell people? Will Democrats tell people you cannot stay if they show up as a family unit right now at the border? And if so, why? They don't they don't seem to agree with that notion. Right. They just keep changing the rules. They shift the ground of the debate every few minutes. So that way they can never really be pinned down and have to defend any one position. They know that this is showing how inept and and just what a joke this Biden administration is. We're, we're already at the I told you so part of the Biden presidency. That's where we are. We're seeing what is happening in real time before us after the all the talk about how Biden was going to be a great uniter and bring us all together. I mean, no one really actually believes that anymore or, or they shouldn't. Adana, we are in the midst of a pandemic. We are dealing with crowded border patrol facilities. We are focused on our operations and the needs of the children. And at the same time, we are working to provide access uh, to those border patrol facilities when we, we can do so in Good. a safe manner. Good. We are we, working on that. Thank we, you. We, we, cover the, we cover the White House under a pandemic, and I, we've figured out how to do it largely safely. Yeah, sure. Uh, look, they are saying this is about safety in the facilities and making the facilities, making the process better. What's really going on here is that you're seeing the plans of the left in real time. You're seeing how this actually works in real life. When when you convince folks that they're going to be able to stay in America, even if they cross illegally, even if they're not legitimate asylum seekers. Remember, asylum is a very specific thing. It is for people who we give safe harbor to because they can't safely live in their own country. That's not the same thing as I would rather live in America than Honduras, or I would rather live in America than Brazil or Pakistan or Thailand or wherever. It's not the same thing. And yet these very fundamental issues are what the Democrats dance around. I mean, I think uh, Newt Gingrich says it very well, which is that the left is living in they're They're living in a delusion. The problem is they're in charge. They're in the position of power right now, and they're trying to make all the rest of us live in this delusion, too. We can see what's going on. What they're saying is not true. What they're presenting to you is a lie. 
We're all very aware of this. We know that in their hearts, they like to believe that there's some way to let everybody who wants to come into America from a developing country in particular, let anyone who wants to come in, come in while still have rule of law and an immigration system that functions. They think that those two things can coexist. They're wrong. This is a delusion. Newt sees it. Plays 13. Play 13. Look, I, I think that the entire left is living in a fantasy world uh, when you have thousands and thousands of people, 3,000 teenagers uh, in the convention center in Dallas who have come in illegally, when you have night after night of violence in Portland, when you have rising crime rates almost everywhere in the country, uh, and you have gasoline prices starting back up, at some point, normal everyday Americans are going to realize the gap uh, between the fantasy world of Biden and Harris and the real world of everyday Americans. And I think that that's going to be extraordinarily expensive for the Democrats in 2022, because you basically have a fight between the American people and a democratic machine. And on almost every major issue now, uh, the American people are on one side and the machine is on the other. And what exactly do we have to show for this Biden administration so far that anybody could point to and say, you know what, they're doing a really good job on and then just fill in the blank. Where are we seeing really excellent work from the Biden administration? I remember all those laughable lies from the 2020 election cycle about the competent and moderate elder statesman from Delaware, Joe Biden. You know, you could trust good old Joe from Scranton. He's not some radical commie who smashes in the windows at Starbucks and comes up with new pronouns every five minutes. I mean, this guy's got more political longevity than a giant tortoise. In fact, this is true. Biden's been around so long. When he first went to the United States Senate, we were figuring out how to end the war in Vietnam. That's that's the truth. I mean, how much damage could he really do as president? I mean, just look at our southern border and you get the answer to that. We are two months into the Biden presidency. So far, it's an utter debacle. There are more illegal, illegal immigrant kids in cages, quote, that's what they called it under Trump, than ever before. Over 15,000 right now. Illegal crossings have skyrocketed to well over 100,000 a month. No end in sight. Cartels are getting richer and our immigration laws look like a big joke. All because of good old Joe. Migrants are showing up with Biden T-shirts on. They've told journalists in interviews that they're coming because Biden will let them in. And the response from Team Biden is <sighs> nonsense. We see it all. All right. They swerve around the word crisis in these press conferences like a drunk hippo on ice skates. It's scary for everybody and no one's buying it. And when that doesn't work, they try to blame everything on Trump. It's a pathetic display. I mean, the DNC is not sending us their best. None of this is surprising. Not the divisive left wing executive orders from day one. The escalated authoritarian madness around masks, the stalled lockdown recovery, the rising gas prices or the growing sense that the stock market's going to crash any day now. Biden is, as so many on the right said all along, a Democrat figurehead with no talent other than showing up and saying whatever works. What we've got is the third term of the Obama administration, but with Mr. Magoo playing the role of president. It's tough to know what's more frightening to declining Hyden Biden, press conferences or staircases. 
The border crisis is just the most visible manifestation of this obvious reality. Joe Biden was never up for this job. and We can all see it. He has neither a vision for the nation's future nor the leadership skills to take us there. He just spews the talking points and does what the handlers and advisors tell him to. He's supposed to be a great uniter. The healing leader for whom our nation was crying out at this point feels like a victory for the country whenever he doesn't wander on stage and not and, and mumble some nonsense about the science. By the time the Democrats can't hold up this facade anymore, the media will be talking about how President Harris really needs to step in and take the reins. And that's not too far off. And you know what they'll do then? They'll scoff at anyone who points out this is exactly what we were expecting all along, just as they do now, as they mouth the preferred slogans of, Bar- of uh, Biden's Marxist puppeteers. Exactly as I said he would, many of us saw in advance. That when you've been vaccinated or when you've gotten the disease naturally, that you are spreading it. If there were, it would be all over the news. There are no news reports and no scientific studies saying that after vaccination, that there's some sort of widespread contagion that people vaccinated are spreading the disease. It's just not true. What Fauci won't tell you is that he's telling you a noble lie. He's lying to you because he doesn't think we're smart enough to make decisions. His fear is that if the vaccine quit wearing the mask the unvaccinated will say what the hell i'm not wearing a mask either so he lies to you to say oh the mask makes a difference when in reality he knows better he's wearing two masks for theater it's complete theater he is immune he knows he's not going to get it but he is not being honest with the american public i i ran paul i just this guy's amazing i mean he's you know sometimes there's there's only a few people who will come out and just say it and Rand Paul on this one right now. I just feel like I'm thankful. I'm thankful. I wish I could give the guy a high five that he's calling out what's so obvious. Yeah, Fauci is that little tyrant. That feckless bureaucrat is double masking because he I mean, I think very clearly uh, wants to show people how seriously he takes the virus, even though he's immune. So there's really no reason for him to do this. But then again, there's no reason for people, including the journos all across the mainstream media, including Biden himself, to take photos of themselves with a mask on and put that on their social media profile to put that on their Twitter or their Facebook, except that this has become about tribal, political and ideological allegiance for a lot of people, not for everybody. Some people really believe in the the magic of wearing masks to uh, defend you from this um, you know, in, in a meaningful way. How many times have I told you that it's probably helps a tiny bit, but it's way overblown. I mean, you just observe it. See what's going on. Masks. You walk down the street in New York City outside. You'll see 90 percent of people wearing masks. Ninety. Just walk around. You see it. That's outdoors. You can't go into any place without a mask on right now indoors. You can't do it. They won't let you in anywhere. Has, has that stopped the virus? Did it stop for the, the, the spread of the virus in the wintertime in New York City? No, did not at all. In fact, now there's, they're saying there's a pretty high positivity rate here in New York. So this is not a situation that we should allow to continue on without some real pushback, without really figuring out what the heck is going on here. Double masking when you are immune is theater. Right? You can say it's good theater. You can say you like it. You can say you're happy about the situation for whatever reason, but it is theatrical. 
And and this statement that he makes about how they're they don't want people who are vaccinated to stop masking is because the moment that somebody could walk in. I mean, I'll tell you this right now. And this is just the truth. If I could go into my gym, for example. And say, you know, blank off when some mask shamer comes over, blank off, I'm vaccinated. Is there a decent chance that I probably would say that? I'll just leave that out there. You know, a lot of people would say, "Okay, uh, I'm done with the stupid tyranny of these morons. And that would mean the whole the whole masking regime falls apart. It has to be mandatory for everyone. And notice that the only way they've been able to justify this is somehow the science as we've gone along has almost magically been manipulated. It's just been perfect. At first, it was they're really good for protection Then it was it's really good at protecting you both ways. So from transmitting and from receiving the virus in the air. And then it was, well, actually, maybe it's really just about you not transmitting it to somebody else. And then they created this whole, well, it's not about what you want. It's about the risk you're posing to other people. And that I just want to say, well, I mean, other people could also avoid congregate settings, couldn't they? You know, you you don't want to you don't want to be in a gym where people are unmasked. Don't go to the gym. What's so bad about that? No, instead, everybody has to suffer because of the anxiety of a few people. Everybody has to suffer because of the belief that Dr. Fauci is not lying to you about the science when it comes to when I say lying to you about the science. These are all judgment calls. They're making judgment calls. And right now, for public policy reasons, they're telling people you have to mask even after even after you're vaccinated. And you're starting to see it pop up more and more forever masking is gaining traction. You know, if this works so well, if this protects people so effectively, including from the flu, including from other coronaviruses that are out there, including from, you know, why wait to see what the next pandemic is like? We could stop it in its tracks, they say, which, of course, is idiocy because you look at what's happened in the last year. But we could stop the next pandemic if only we mask up enough. This has turned into a religious belief. That's what this is. You know, it's the same thing as as Bill, when Bill Gates, as he did recently, says that to fight climate change, he's going to eat less meat personally. That's a religious belief. All right. That's a, that's a question of individual virtue from action that no rational, no rational viewpoint could ever say is going to make a change in anything. All right. That's a, a religious belief. And when you look at what the reality of. Uh, our version of lockdowns, which remember, we never really locked down. I have to point this out to people all the time. They act like, you know, these work from home people who sitting on their couches in, you know, in Los Angeles, on the west side of Los Angeles, you know, closer to the water and in Brooklyn and in Washington, D.C., they've been work from home this whole time and they act like they're big heroes. The the essential workers are still getting on subways, getting into crowded places, going into buildings and still getting sick. They haven't. There's not actually a real lockdown. This is what people don't understand. There's a partial lockdown. So we get the downside of this, of all of this with the herd economy and people separated from each other. But the virus continues to spread because the number one place it spreads is in the home. And so as long as you have some people who are out there subjecting themselves to getting it, it continues to it continues to move through the population. You know, well, why are we not doing serology testing anymore for antibodies in the population? By the way, you notice that that just why did that disappear? We did it in June. It's not crazy. 
There used to be a real interest in this. How many people have actually been infected? Well, maybe because folks would realize this whole health policy stuff from Fauci and all the rest of them. It worked so well that, I mean, they say, what, 30 million Americans have gotten coronavirus. What if it was double or triple that? They don't know. They tell us that 40 percent of transmission occurs in asymptomatic people. So you've got to assume there's a huge number of asymptomatic people who had it and never knew. And they've been tested and they don't know or, or they they weren't tested rather and they, they never found out. So the the truth is they can't allow their 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 little tyrannical grip off your off your throat, off your face for one second, because then the whole thing falls apart. If there were a state that that made outdoor mask wearing on safety grounds, because there are places that say you can't actually mask unless it's a part of your job, you know, construction work or something. You can't actually mask up in public. People should be able to see your face, know who you are. It's a safety issue. If there were a state that said that they would ban outdoor mask wearing on on safety issues and they would ban indoor mask wearing on health issues, it's not good for you to be breathing in, you know, your own whatever you're expelling all the time. And this is not this is not good for a lot of folks. It's not good for your anxiety levels. It's not good for your mental health. It's not good for your understanding of your relationship with the state, with the government. If there were if there were a state, I don't care which one it is that decided they do that, I would seriously consider moving just just based on that. I think it's that important now to run the experiment to show that all this stuff, they're just wrong and they won't they won't back off. They won't admit that what they've been telling us to do does not work. Didn't work in America. Didn't work in Europe. Doesn't work. You know, if we were a tiny island that could cut off all travel and that forced people into their homes for months on end, maybe it would work. We didn't do anything even close to that. So why pretend? Well, there are a lot of people out there that are pretending for a bunch of different reasons. One of them is uh, Gretchen Whitmer of Michigan. We got to get into that in a second. We follow the CDC guidelines. Any nursing home that did take a resident back, we worked with them to make sure that they had all the safety protocols. It was their choice. No one was mandated. And we have shared all of the information that has been mandated by the federal government, which is a lot uh, publicly. So our nursing home story, like everyone's, is sad because this is where this virus thrives and has taken so many lives. And yet the Michigan experience has, um, I think, been... Um, stronger than that of many other states and so uh this is this is sadly politics pervading our public health still we're not going to get distracted i'm going to stay focused on getting my state through this tough time and keep moving forward as governor gretchen whitmer of michigan was the queen of the lockdowns she was the the governor who right behind cuomo and newsom uh, was among the biggest advocates for lockdown among the uh, the most um, the the most uh, ardent people for masking and all these different mitig- mitigation measures, as Fauci says. Well, it turns out that she might have her own nursing home disasters. You know, Cuomo made the inexplicably stupid and lethal decision to send people back into nursing homes uh, when they when they had covid, which was. If you were trying to find a way to bring up the death toll, that would have been a very good plan. If you were trying to find a mechanism to make make people uh, more likely to get severely ill or die as a governor, that was a good a good place to start. Whitmer issued an order on April 15th, 2020. That was very similar 
uh, very similar to the Cuomo order. And it has also come up that the uh, here, here you go. This is from USA Today. It has come to light the New York authorities number uh, following pressure from the governor's office deliberately on account of the number of patients. Um, and the patient numbers are more than 40 percent higher, while deaths were 75 percent higher. So what was the reality of the Whitmer decision here in Michigan? Again, this piece in USA Today Did Michigan cover up nursing home COVID deaths like New York? Raises some interesting questions. Here's what they write. Quote, the public had a right to these grim facts, yet it took a five-month-long lawsuit by New York's Empire Center for Public Policy to discover some of the most important information. Governor Cuomo simply wasn't transparent, and neither is the state of Michigan. Michigan is one of only two states where the governor is exempt from freedom of information laws, and the only state where that exemption is written into statute. Thanks to this exemption, the governor has no obligation to produce any records whatsoever, despite making decisions affecting the lives of every Michigander. Michigan is one of only two states where the governor is exempt from freedom of information laws. Governor Whitmer has used this veil of secrecy to act with impunity. Her office has almost single-handedly dictated the state's COVID-19 policies without disclosing the data she has used to make her decisions. After the Michigan Supreme Court struck down the statute Governor Whitmer relied on for her emergency authority, the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services became the vessel for COVID decision making. Yet while that department is subject to FOIA, it has not been any more transparent. The state continues to release information about the number of cases and deaths, but not the underlying records. This is unacceptable. The state is asking voters to simply accept its published data without the chance to verify the records used to create them. The Cuomo scandal, Democrats, how dangerous it is to trust politicians. Access to information is essential. That's why we're suing the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Uh, And after the state began adding additional deaths to its tally, uh, one of us requested the underlying data of these added deaths. And we're they're trying to get into all this. It shouldn't take a lawsuit to figure this out, but that's where they are. And Gretchen Whitmer is going to fight this. You know why? You're going to find out that this that. While while the governors were worried about their makeup, whether it was Whitmer or Cuomo or Newsom, while they were on TV trying to build their profile. Remember, Whitmer was talked about, oh, maybe she'd be a good Democrat vice president. Right. Maybe maybe she's somebody who should be in the mix here. That was being discussed a year ago. They were also concerned with how it was making them look. How concerned were they with the actual governance of what was going on? How much were they focused on their job? instead of their optics, right? Well, we can only know that if we get the actual data, and it's become increasingly clear that Governor Whitmer doesn't want us to have that data. Why is that? Well, here's a guess. More people died in nursing homes from COVID, and especially after she gave a very similar order to Cuomo, right? Because I'm sure she saw that, heard about that, or had a similar reaction of, you know, we've just got to, because there was this panic about, oh, we've got to clear out the hospital capacity. Oh, the hospital capacity. We're going to overwhelm the hospitals. It never actually happened. There was no hospital system that collapsed in this country because we couldn't get anybody care. But Whitmer knows that her political future hangs in the balance here. And just as we've seen with so many other, who, who are the people 
that were heroes during the pandemic and now look like villains. You'll notice one thing in common about all of them. They're Democrats. Cuomo, Newsom, Whitmer. Who was a who was a Republican in 2020 was considered some kind of a covid-19 leader, hero, whatever. And now we see it was actually awful. I can't think of a single one. Does anybody really believe that that's a surprise uh, or that's an accident? That's a coincidence. Nope. I think we all understand what's going on here. I think we're all quite aware of the fact that the Democrat Party, while pretending to be the party of science and pretending to be the people that care so much about the data and the facts, we're covering up a lot of stuff because ultimately they didn't know what they were doing. They made bad decisions in major states that affected thousands and thousands of lives, may have cost in the aggregate thousands of lives. And now the most important thing to them is that they don't want to be held accountable. Now the most important thing is that they would rather uh, think about their reelection effort and maybe a cable news contributorship or something like that instead of actually face the music for what they did. I mean, Whitmer was the one who decided you couldn't go from one house to another that you owned during the pandemic. You remember that you were not allowed to travel. If you owned a lake house, let's say, and you were in the city, not allowed to go to your lake house as if that was ever really enforceable. But that was the tyrannical mindset that she exemplified. And the media held her up as some kind of a hero for this. The media pretended that because of all this, she was a really good person, somebody that we should all listen to. She really knew what she was doing. She really knew what was going on. Yeah. Let's see what those nursing home numbers look like. Let's let's see Governor Whitmer of Michigan open up the books a little bit. Well, from where I sit, I want to see a deeper investigation into whether or not these shootings and other similar crimes are racially motivated. It looks racially motivated to me, uh, but I'm not, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not a police officer. I'm not investigating the crimes. What I have done, though, is I have actually sent a letter to Director Ray and to um, Attorney General Garland asking for a deeper investigation into crimes that involve Asian Americans to see how many crimes have actually been underreported as hate crimes. We know know that crimes against Asian Americans that have been categorized as hate crimes have increased by over 150 percent in our nation's major cities. That's over 3,800 additional crimes last year. But we also know that many of these crimes go underreported as hate crimes and are just classified as a mugging or harassment mm-hmm. or vandalism when they, really they were targeted at Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders in particular. So they're they're on this anti-Asian hate crime uh, crusade right now in the media. And you're going to see a lot of numbers and statistics used. One thing that I will tell you is that the way that they will present statistics, you know, you've got to look at the you got to look at the overall numbers, too. If you see that there were there was a 200 percent increase in hate crimes, let's say, in a city in America against Asian-Americans, against anybody. But if you saw a 200 percent increase in hate crimes, you'd say, oh, my gosh, we've got a we've got a real problem that must be addressed immediately you would still think you had a problem, but you might feel differently about the scope of it if you found out that the, you know, the 200 percent increase was from, oh, I don't know, 10 to, you know, 10 to 30. Right. Or if you found out that the 200 percent increase was from, uh, you know, four to 12. Right. Or whatever, whatever the case, or, or, you know, if it was a hundred percent increase, we'll make it easy. We'll make it, a, we'll just make it a simple double. If it went from four to eight, 
you'd say, wow, that's that's a lot. That's a that's a big that's a big change. Right. That's a big change, except that's not a lot of overall cases. So be aware of the way that that statistics are used. They do this with the when they want to create a a media hysteria around a general sweeping surge of, of hate crimes or something like that. That's one of the things they'll do. They'll use a statistic that sounds like it is indicative of a wave of a, of a, of a massive pattern shift when really it could just be anomalous uh, to a certain period of time. You have to look at it. Another thing is what you'd have to say when the narrative. What's this piece here from Andrew Sullivan? When the narrative replaces the news. Andrew Sullivan is a uh, he's heterodox. He can be a liberal in many ways, but he also occasionally will call out the absurdities of liberalism. The guy started a blog a long time ago. He's he's you know, created a very successful audience for himself. And what he writes here, this is one of the best pieces. This is the best piece I've read on the Atlanta shooting massacre. And it's because it goes to the nature of our new of our news media right now is such that it is all it is all commentary over reporting. Reporting is just the thing you do briefly so you can start all commenting on it right away. And I'm talking about the most uh, you know, reputed news organizations. I'm talking about you, you name it. There are a lot of them out there. Um, uh, New York Times, Washington Post. This is what they do. And here's how we go uh, into this piece from Andrew Sullivan. Quote, the massacres at three massage parlors in Atlanta last week, leaving eight human beings dead, others injured and their families scarred, were horrifying. Uh, read this deeply moving story about the son of one of the women killed to remind yourself of this. It's brutal. The grief will spread and resonate some more. But this story also has been deeply instructive about our national discourse and the state of the American mainstream and elite media. This story's coverage is proof, if it seems to me, that American journalists have officially abandoned the habit of attempting any kind of objectivity in reporting the, these stories. We are now in the enlightened social justice world of moral clarity and narrative shaping. Here's the truth. We do not yet know why this man did these horrible things. It's probably complicated, or as my therapist used to say, multi-determined. That's why we have thorough investigation and trials in America. We only have one solid piece of information as to motive, which is the confession by the mass killer to law enforcement, that he was a religious fundamentalist who was determined to live up to chastity and repeatedly failed, as is often the case. Like the 9-11 bombers and the mass murderer at the Pulse nightclub, he took out his angst on the source of what he saw as his temptation and committed mass murder. This is evil in the classic fundamentalist sense, a perversion of religion and sexual repression into violence. We should not take the killer's uh, confession as definitive, but we have yet to find, I'm skipping down here a little bit, any credible evidence of anti-Asian hatred or bigotry in this man's history. Maybe we will. We can't rule it out. But we do know his roommates say they once asked him if he picked the spas for sex because the women were Asian. He denied it. He said they were just the safest way to have quick sex. And yet, you know what's coming. Accompanying one original piece on the known facts, the New York Times ran nine. That's right. Nine separate stories about the incident as part of the narrative that this was an anti-Asian hate crime fueled by white supremacy and or misogyny. Not to be outdone, the Washington Post ran 16 separate stories on the incident as an anti-Asian white supremacist hate crime. 16. One story for the facts. 16 on how critical race theory would interpret the event regardless of the facts. End quote. And that's about 
That's about what you would expect now. I think that's really where we are. You're at about a a 16 to 1 ratio. You're at about a 16 to 1 ratio of time spent reporting on an incident like this, reporting on what actually happened versus the time that would be spent, say, um, talking about how this is Donald Trump's fault. And that happened a lot, too. It was remarkable. You, you had, on the one hand, a mass shooting with a, with a shooter in custody. He's already admitted it. We, we know this is the guy. Um, you know, he, he told everybody what his motive is. And in no way do we know that he liked Donald Trump, listened to Donald Trump, had anything to do with Donald Trump. We don't even know if he was politically interested or motivated at all. There are, there are people that think of themselves as serious public intellectuals who are spending their time writing about how this is Donald Trump's fault. That's what we're supposed to take from this is this is a Trump problem. That's what they tell us. What is the basis for this? What is the uh, the foundation of this? Well, this is now what the media marketplace demands. I mean, if you're going to be a woke liberal, if you're going to be somebody on the left who really believes all this stuff, believes in all this stuff, uh, you have to push the agenda. And that means any opportunity, you have to take things that occur and fit them into the agenda that you have. You need to take things that are occurring and use them for this purpose, even if it doesn't line up. What's the most important thing that you get the facts right or that you support the narrative? If you are a leftist, if you're a social justice warrior, the narrative is the most important thing. And that's the whole reason for this Andrew Sullivan piece. I'd also say he points out, I think, rather uh, correctly that mass shooters and mass killers when they're in custody, they tend to want to tell people why they did these things. And we don't usually see them lying about it. They usually will tell you, I shot these people because I'm a you know fundamentalist lunatic who kills people because whatever it may be. And in this instance, we're supposed to think that this guy is lying about it. Why? I mean, I'm not saying that somebody who would murder eight innocent people, including two non-Asian individuals who get left out of much of the news coverage of this, is somebody who's trustworthy in any respect. Obviously, this guy is a moral monster, but there's no reason to believe he would lie about that, about his motivation. He's already caught. I mean, he's probably going to be facing the death penalty if he doesn't spend the rest of his life in a uh, in a you know criminal mental facility. So. Why all the news reporting on how this is about white supremacy and anti-Asian bias? A lot of news reporting on that. I also saw over the weekend that there was a a, a uh, 68-year-old Sri Lankan immigrant on a train in Manhattan who was attacked while the guy was shouting anti-Asian slurs, and it was a he was a black man wearing a pink hoodie, pink hooded sweatshirt with a fedora on, and there's very prominent uh, photos that that have been released by the NYPD. And now that's just one assault. That's one attack. But it's clearly an anti. I mean, if you're punching someone and yelling anti-Asian slurs, the guy just punched him for no, no, no altercation, nothing before and just punched him. If you're doing that, chances are it's a hate crime, right? if, If you're actually just punching somebody because you see them and say, I hate you because blank and you're hitting them. It's a hate crime. There have been a lot of incidents like this and. Uh, um, a, a disproportionate number of them, at least 27 percent by the numbers overall of attacks on Asian-Americans come from uh, black Americans. 
Yet the media doesn't grapple with this and how it affects the white supremacy. And Donald Trump is responsible for calling it the Wuhan virus at all. They, they don't deal with that at all. What do they say? Oh, well, white the the legacy and history of white supremacy is what has caused these kinds of racial tensions to exist in the first place. Therefore, even and this is real analysis you'll find online, even when a when a black man attacks an Asian man for no reason and screams anti-Asian slurs, it is evidence to the left of white supremacy. This is real, though. They will say this. They will make that case. So be aware of the fact that you're you're being misled. And and we've increasingly uh, entered this world where what you can readily and easily observe is no longer acceptable to be said out loud. What you can see quite clearly is true or untrue is risky to say, to share, to believe there is a narrative. You are to accept it. And if the narrative is that Donald Trump has created white supremacist, uh, a wave of white supremacist attacks on Asian Americans, even if the evidence does not in any meaningful way support that, you better say that or else. This is Joe Biden's America we're in now, folks. That's how it goes. In the shadow of uh, this great American rescue package, so proud that we got that done uh, in the Senate and Congress uh, and out the door. Uh, but the, it shouldn't have been this hard. It's been another reminder that we need to eliminate the filibuster. So many important issues to tackle from protecting voting rights, addressing climate change, expanding health care access, criminal justice reform, immigration reform, and so much more. It shouldn't be this hard, uh, but the filibuster is standing in the way, and it's time for the filibuster to go. Uh, so uh, I think patience is wearing thin on the last few Democrats that are still not quite there on eliminating the filibuster. So the sooner we can do it, the sooner we can move on with advancing a progressive agenda, not just for California, but for the nation. They tell you Democrats wouldn't actually, they wouldn't actually eliminate the filibuster. That's that's the 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 storyline out there. They're not really going to do it. No, I think they will do it. Why wouldn't they do it? I, I, I have a very different feeling than a lot of other people on this. We believe, including Republicans, we believe that Democrats have an interest in playing fair. We think that the Democrat approach to this is going to be, well, we've set a precedent here. We need to you know, stay with what we said we would do in the past. Is, is that really the belief? No. Right. No one really thinks that's the case. The Democrats are unwilling to abuse their power. No one really thinks the Democrats are unwilling to go with an absolutist approach if they can get away with it. Right. So what's really going on here? Why? Why are we sitting around acting like this isn't a very realistic thing? I mean, that's Senator Alex Padilla, who's just telling everybody, yeah. That the filibuster is the problem if you want a really progressive agenda. I mean, if you want a transformationally progressive agenda, this is what you got to do. They got rid of it for judicial nominees under Obama. I mean, can, can anyone else see the incrementalism at work here? Can anyone else see the frog slowly boiling at the temperature of the progressive absolutism keeps getting turned up and up and up? The filibuster standing in the way. Yeah, no, no, no surprise. Anything that stands in the way of complete Democrat control, they will find some excuse. They will find some rationale to tell you is a problem. And anyone who points out their unprincipled actions will in turn be called unprincipled. 
That's actually, that's how this goes. That's the way this operates. Let's see now what uh, Tom Cotton, uh, what Tom Cotton, Senator, has to say about this. I mean, the, just the fact that they're calling it filibuster reform uh, strikes me as just absurd, right? No, no one really believes this is a reform of the filibuster. This is filibuster elimination. That's what they're trying to do. That's what they believe is going on here. And that's what they want. So why reform? How? How are you reforming something? You know, if, if you if you say you don't want three pointers in basketball anymore and you're going to get rid of the three point line because NBA games have turned into a three point shooting contest, which I think is a whole other conversation we could have. You're not doing three point shooting reform. You're eliminating three point shooting. You're not reforming it to be something else. You're saying it's gone. That's the situation we find ourselves in here with the filibuster because it's the only procedural, real procedural hurdle to Democrats enacting exactly the agenda they want with no one able to even a little bit stand in their way. And here is Tom Cotton on this point nine. So there's something to be said for compromise and bipartisanship and respect for the rights of the minority in the Senate. These rules have been in place since the beginning of our republic. And these Democrats are engaged in pretty highly situational ethics. You know, just four years ago, 27 Democrats still in the Senate wrote a letter urging Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer to maintain these rules. Now, most of those senators have flip-flopped simply because they have the barest of majorities. Republicans refused to change those rules four years ago because we respect these traditions in the Senate. In it, and we know they've helped forge durable bipartisan consensus legislation. Yep. That's how the Democrats play this. That's what they do. That's the way this is going to go. And you know this, right? Remember Frank Herbert, when I am weaker than you, I ask for freedom because that is according to your principles. When I am stronger than you, I take away your freedom because that is according to my principles. The Frank Herbert quote. That is, if you want a a you know one sentence explanation of the modern democrat party that's it there is no principle that can stand in the way there is nothing that will stop them from doing what they want to do uh, when it comes to institutions when it comes to fairness nothing like that it's just the, do they have the ability do they have the raw exercise of power at their disposal if the answer is yes that is what they will do and, and this is all about getting to that place for them. This is all about putting themselves in that circumstance, that situation where no one's really able, no one's really able to uh, tell them that they can't or, or to stop them, forget about telling them, to stop them from enacting things like amnesty, things like uh, some crazy climate change reform or a trillion dollar infrastructure bill or H.R. 1. These would all be things that if they get through, they'd have massive impact on the on the country. And beyond that might prevent Republicans from actually being able to win elections in the future. This is what's at stake. And, you know, I there's a part of me that, that looks around and says, where are the Republicans on all this? Who's making the counter case here? Who's fighting back effectively against this? I'm not saying there's nobody who's doing it, but. Not a lot of uh, feelings of optimism right now from within the GOP ranks about how to stop this stuff. And, and I think that that's that sense of uh, of dread about the policies that are coming is somewhat warranted. So we got to wake up, America. We got to get ready for this stuff.
You know that a huge part of the way the left is going to continue to argue about the border is just about uh, racism, right? That's what that's what they're going to really turn this into a discussion about racism, because the actual functions of Border Patrol and Immigrations and Customs Enforcement, what's happening at our border is not allowed to be uh, considered or not allowed to be talked about openly and honestly. So they're going to try to create a feeling of, of fear around the general public. If you oppose this, if you think what's going on at the border is a problem in any way, you're racist. It's intellectually dishonest. It's not true, but it's very effective. It's a very effective means of making people get back in line on this. It's, it's a way of, of shutting down open and honest conversation about what's really happening at the southern border. And it's, it's a reminder, too, that anything that you say about this stuff online, anything that anybody is saying, they want you to be worried about it. And, and I mean this for you, too. You know, the cancel culture is not limited to people like me who are in the public eye and, and do commentary and, and share their opinions for a living. They can come after anybody. And the websites that you go to, the places that you're, you're sharing your thoughts online, all this leaves a digital footprint And you never know what's going to happen in the future with these big tech companies that may decide that this information, first of all, it could just end up getting released publicly. There's hacks that can happen. But do you trust Google and Facebook and and Twitter to have all this data on you? Why give it to them for free? You can anonymize your connection and surf the Internet freely without wondering who's going to get a hold of your search history or your viewing habits and, you know, the possible cancellation that could come along with it. You know, too many NRA.com visits or something, and all of a sudden you find yourself in trouble, right? You don't want to deal with that. There's never been a more important time to protect your Internet activity than right now. That's why I really want you to go get ExpressVPN. When you search for something online, whether it's a video or just clicking a link, it gets tracked by these big tech companies, and they match your activity to your true identity using your device's IP address. When I use ExpressVPN, these companies can't see my IP address at all, all my identity is anonymized by a secure VPN server, and it's encrypted for maximum protection. Stop handing over your data to big tech companies and the government. Defend your rights with the VPN I trust for online protection. Visit expressvpn.com buck. That's expressvpn.com buck to get three months extra free expressvpn.com slash buck right now to learn more. We've got Senator Marsha Blackburn joining us now from the great state of Tennessee. She was just down at our southern border. Senator Blackburn, thanks for being with us. I am absolutely delighted to join you and so pleased to kind of give you some of the details that we saw on the border because, you know, the Biden administration just isn't letting out any of the facts and figures on this. Well, we just want to give the floor to you to, to tell us some of the observations, some of the ground truth you picked up. We, we know there's a crisis. We know the numbers are very large of those coming across the border and being held in the facilities. Beyond that, there seems to be a lot of dispute as to more the specifics of the processing and the facts. So tell us what you actually saw firsthand. Well, one of the things that we saw firsthand is that the cartels have become very sophisticated. And I think it is important for everyone to realize these are not individuals just on their own picking up and saying, we are heading to the USA. These are individuals who are contracting with 
a coyote who's a part of a cartel. The cartel then charges a fee. As these individuals begin to make their track, they are issued cartel issue clothing. You know, like we, uh, our military issues clothing or a business issues certain clothing items. The cartel has backpacks and carpet shoes and things of that nature that they are issuing to these migrants that are trying to come in illegally. Now, they also have to wear a band on their wrist. Like, you know, when you go to a concert and they band you to show that you have paid and you have certain access. Well, the cartels will band these migrants to show that they have paid their fee or that they are going to have to work out their fee once they get to America. And that is where you get these labor gangs and sex trafficking rings and gangs um, by basically this indentured servitude that they are practicing. And yesterday when we were down in Pinal County with uh, Sheriff Lamb, Mark Lamb, we had the opportunity to go out and kind of walk that track where you have a reservation that fronts the Mexican side and then on the north fronts the U.S. territory. And that reservation straddles the border. And what you have the migrants doing, the cartels, will bring these individuals through those reservations and then they walk the rest of the way up to uh, getting uh, to the point that they can pop on I-8 or I-10 and then take off. The other thing that um, has started to happen is that you have El Chapo's cartel, which is basically running the Arizona border. You know, the Sinaloa, right? Yeah, the Sinaloa cartel. And they are in charge of Arizona. Well, 50% of all the street drugs that are coming in the country are run by El Chapo's cartel through Arizona. And I-8 and I-10 have basically become the fentanyl freeway this year because the use of fentanyl and meth is up so drastically. They even have started, the cartels have a concoction that they have some of the migrants drink. And it's a liquid that has meth and heroin in it. And this is kind of how they kind of, I guess, keep them um, motivated or awake or alert or something to make this journey. So... These are some of the things that we saw firsthand. We also had the opportunity down in Cochise County with Sheriff Daniels to walk along the border wall. And I have to tell you, it is this is where you can see how we have an environmental crisis, a humanitarian crisis, a drug crisis, because they've already cut the roads into the mountainside. They've already trenched out to finish this border wall. And of course, the Biden administration said halt everything immediately, no further work at all, period, full stop. And the equipment 
and also the the border wall components are all sitting there in the yard in Cochise County waiting to be used. And now what is going to happen if they don't get the rock laid, the concrete laid, uh, finish some of this before you get to the monsoons, you are going to have a great big mess. Uh, it's going to be an environmental disaster as well. And uh, there are just gaping holes in the wall, if you will, that uh, where there is work that is needing to be finished. We're speaking to Senator so, Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee. She was just down at the border. And Senator Blackburn, there's already some reporting about, let's just say, a lack of transparency uh, for the actual facilities where these uh, migrants who are crossing the country illegally are being held. You're a United States senator. One would think that you would you would be able to get transparency and access into these into these facilities. What can you tell us about that? I mean, is is there an effort to prevent people from being able to see what's going on? I, I think that there is an effort. My goodness. You know, when the local sheriffs are saying, hey, come on down here, we're going to show you exactly what is going on and we're going to give you a full picture of what is happening because the federal government won't do it. What we do know is that ICE is not showing up at some of these county jails in order to pick these migrants up. And they're leaving it to the sheriffs to tend to this. We know that the sheriffs are saying, and the ranchers and the property owners are saying, hey, look, you know, we have them on our property. I talked to a lady who said, you know, they had walked out and there was a backpack. You know, people can identify these things because, as I said, it's cartel-issued clothing. So they see a backpack from one of the migrants. It's in their backyard. And they have small children in their family. Another one said, you know, we have them try to transit through our ranch. Uh, It prohibits us from doing some of the ranch work that we would like to do. People have to be careful about locking up all of their vehicles, all of their tools. Uh, These are American citizens and their property rights are being so infringed and the federal government is not showing up to help. You have these local counties where taxpayers are footing the bill for a lot of this, local taxpayers, because the federal government does not show up to pick up those migrant criminal illegal aliens that should be being held. And by the way, you have all of these sheriffs that will tell you and you have uh, Border Patrol, which are, you know, God love them. They're just working their fingers to the bone down there. And they will tell you, look, you know, we have people coming from all over the world. The word is out. The border is open. If you're going to come, now's the time to come. Senator Blackburn, before we let you go, we're speaking to Senator Blackburn of Tennessee. For everybody joining us, do you see this getting any better? It seems as though the Biden administration's focus on this is to make the process more streamlined for those who cross over and to add extra capacity, but that doesn't seem likely to stop the flow. Oh, no, that is going to increase the flow. You are exactly right about that. 
it is if they start adding capacity what does it do it increases the flow because you what you're doing is emboldening the cartels and by the way cartels are big business they make more money off of trafficking humans than they do drugs right now and the labor gangs the gangs the ms-13 gangs the sex trafficking these are people from all over the globe that are coming so this is why we have to secure this border it's why the biden administration really needs to get their act together on this this is about keeping the american people safe when somebody's coming in this country illegally we don't know what kind of biologics they're bringing what kind of weapons they're bringing what drugs they are bringing, or if they're COVID positive. We don't have answers to any of those questions. Senator Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee, always appreciate you joining, uh, Senator. Thanks so much for your time. Good talking to you. Take care. There's this thing happening in the Republican Party right now where I feel like they're trying to out-racist one another. And then they claim, when people criticize those comments, uh, that they're being canceled, you know, and decry cancel culture. And then they fundraise off of it. It's this weird cycle of saying the racist thing, denying the thing you said is racist, and then fundraising off of that when you're criticized by everyone else. And I think everybody heard what he said. We know what he means. We know what that expression comes from. And I find it ghastly that he would invoke that at a hearing when we're talking that day about anti-Asian hatred and the fact that eight people were killed this week uh, because of potentially white supremacy and white supremacist violence. And so that's the issue. The issue is not an expression from Texas uh, in which you invoke lynching. Oh, gosh. Here we have, again, more. it's, it's white supremacist violence in Atlanta, even though we've, we've gone over this, the data is that it, the, the information that we have is that it is not, in fact, was not motivated by white supremacist violence. Uh, white supremacy is is being if you watch MSNBC, if you are an avid CNN watcher, this is you would think the biggest problem in America. Worse than covid. I mean, the, the worst thing in America today, the most uh, dangerous, lethal and frightening thing that we deal with in this country is if you watch MSNBC, CNN, read the New York Times, it is white supremacy. Remarkable. And you'd have to wonder as well, is the country so much more racist now than it was 20 years ago when white supremacy as a term was reserved for actual white supremacists? What's really changed? The way they describe America on the left or the actual the actual situation in this country have we gotten much more racist is that really their belief i'd be very curious to hear how that makes any sense but you should just be prepared for a future in which the argument increasingly especially around immigration becomes an argument about race and racism from the left's perspective that's what they'll do that's the likely place that they will take it because they feel very comfortable they they feel very powerful in that uh, part of the discussion you know, lec- lecturing anybody who's on the right of American politics about race is so easy and, and puts people uh, who are Republican. Doesn't matter what your race is as a Republican. If you're in the part of the GOP, if you're a conservative, you're on the defensive the moment the issue of racism comes up. That's the way that this has all been set up. That's the game. And 
you can be prepared for a lot more of that kind of discussion. Here, here is uh, Ilhan Omar talking about the border surge. Play 11. It means understanding that surges happen. And, you know, this this conversation um, around the hysteria that is happening with the Republicans right now uh, is centered around, you know, the gaining political points. It's not about the safety um, of, of Americans. It's not this. It's not about adhering to international law and allowing people to seek asylum. It's not about coming to the table and working with us um, in, in regards to immigration policy, um, because if any of those things were true, you would hear hysteria from them in regards to the northern border. You would hear hysteria from them around, you know, folks who become undocumented because they overstay their visas. Uh, and so it shows you really that this this conversation, it's about maligning um, and you know, I, I think creating a torturous space uh, that often becomes dangerous um, and, and violent uh, for those that are the least fortunate in our immigration population. The northern border? I mean, it's, that's really the argument here, that we're, we're supposed to worry about the northern border? I mean, if we had 100,000 people a month crossing into the country from Canada— and they were coming from all over the world, I can assure Representative Omar that that would also get a lot of attention. And I can assure Representative uh, Omar that there are people who really do believe that this is a rule of law issue and that, you know, if if you're a bad person for wanting to stand up for our immigration system and for the laws around it, and when I say stand up for it, I know there are problems with it and everything else, but just having an immigration system, a set of laws about who can come here and when, how they can stay and how long they can stay and everything else. If if you're a bad person for being upset when those laws are broken or thinking that that's a problem, why do we have immigration laws? I mean, you have to really get into the underlying mentality here. And the moment you do that, you recognize these Democrats are just nuts. Well, actually, they're doing exactly what they think is most likely to benefit their political power and, and give them the most benefit. So in a sense, it makes perfect sense. I, I get what they're doing. I, I'm not surprised by any of this. In fact, you know, I I wrote a book um, about, you know, in advance before the pandemic, the Socialism Survival Guide, uh, and I wrote it for Stansbury Research. And in the book, I said, you know, uh, open borders, sovereignty is for suckers. That was the title of my immigration chapter. I wrote that in 2019. We're seeing exactly that play out right now. This is what the Democrats want. They're getting what they want. The problem for them is just that the American people are figuring it out sooner than the Democrats anticipated and seeing it for what it really is. That's what upsets them. Our buddy Ryan Gerdersky back with us now. He is a writer, political analyst. He's the author of They're Not Listening, How the Elites Created a Populist Revolution. Mr. Gerdersky, good to have you. Let, let's start with this. I, I want to get you on something that caught at least the attention of conservatives over the weekend. Uh, Christy Nome. whenever I talk about how Ron DeSantis has done an amazing job, Ron DeSantis has done a great job in Florida, I get all these people that say, what about Christy Nome?" right away? And what I want to say to them is, well, I mean, she's the governor of South Dakota, which, you know, has the population of, of San Jose, California, 
and has a population density of like uh, inner Mongolia or something. Right. I mean, it's, <laughs> you know, it's it's a little bit of a different situation than Ron DeSantis with Miami and Tampa and Orlando. And, you know, you go to the list, uh, you know, it's, it's a different situation. And, and yet now we see she she won't sign. She was all excited to sign a ban on transgender males in female sports but she's sending it back now all of a sudden i've seen people say this is just because she's caving to pressure groups what are you seeing no this is 100 because she's caving i mean one of the biggest opponents of this bill is one of her biggest donors in the chamber of commerce christine Noem. here's the thing with christine Noem. i get it she's beautiful she's articulate we want a woman we want to diversify the party it, it's not her. It's just not her. She's not going to be the one to sit there and do it. She was a she was a moderate House member. She's a, a moderate governor. Yes, she handled the COVID shutdown fine. But that is not enough to sit there and say, oh, you should be a future presidential uh, candidate, especially being the governor of South Dakota, um, w- one of the states that is one of the least uh, impactful when it comes to our electoral college. Um no, she's she, this is this is to, totally typical of her. And listen, here's what Republicans have to reconcile with the Chamber of Commerce, big business. They are for two of the biggest things that we are against right now, critical race theory in, in, in government and in, 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 in business. And they are for transgender girls playing boys, uh, transgender boys rather playing girls sports. They are. A hundred percent for both of those things. So any conversation that we are going to have to sit there and roll back those or use government force to roll those things back has to come at the expense of the donor class. Christy Noem is not going to be that person. She's immensely weak on that issue. And she's a total, total swamp creature. I don't care how many times she sits there and says MAGA. She's a total swamp creature. When you think of her, you should just basically think of Liz Cheney. Wow. Liz, Liz Cheney, but a little different. But Liz Cheney, uh, okay. With blue eyes, with with nicer eyes. I mean, that's basically the the same exact thing. Uh, she's not. She's no. There's no difference on on real hardcore policy whatsoever. She was the first governor when Trump said, "I'm going to let governors decide if they want refugees or not refugees." She was one of the first governors to say, "No, let's have Somalis come to South Dakota." She is not. She's not good on policy. She never has been good on policy. We shouldn't expect to be good on policy. She shouldn't be on a presidential ticket. I get it. She's a beautiful, articulate woman. That is not enough to make you somebody we should be, you know, praising. DeSantis, I can name 15 good issues, top of my head, that he's been great on. Now, let's let's actually get your your take on uh, the the since we're bringing up DeSantis. You know, over the weekend there was this uh, spring break thing in South Beach. I mean, spring break is obviously very general, but there's a there's a spring break celebration in South Beach, and they were saying in some media outlets I saw, oh, there's a COVID curfew going into effect. My two brothers live in South Beach right now. Okay, I've got two brothers on the ground in South Beach. They said it was absolute madness on the streets, violence, chaos, fights breaking out, you know, and everyone was very aware that this was completely out of control, had nothing to do with COVID policy. Right. And if, um, if they had Black Lives Matter sign, no one would have cared. Un- the only difference is they were they were missing a Black Lives Matter sign while they were doing all those things. If they had if they did have that, though, the media would not care whatsoever. Listen, they are the media is absolutely doing anything they possibly can to make sure Ron DeSantis is not the president in 2024. Um, they they know that he is an immensely popular governor of a of a state large enough to be its own country. Um, that the the shutdown that Democrat politicians in safe Democratic states like New York and California are facing tough reelection battles uh, like they never should have. And DeSantis should be the one, um, you know, having to having to fight for his life. But he's not. Uh, and they know that because 
everything they they've prescribed over the last year plus because of COVID has been an utter failure. DeSantis has become a hero to the to the to the right wing of the party, uh, not just over lockdowns, but over a million other issues, as I said. So they're highlighting well, is like a bunch of like black teenagers and twenty year olds fighting in Miami. I mean. Seriously, if we if we look at what the violence was like in Portland or in uh, Minneapolis or anywhere else or the, the events happening in Washington, D.C. in June last June, where it was Black Lives Matter activists not wearing masks, dancing to like the Cupid shuffle on the street, thousands of them not wearing masks, doing all those things leading up to violence. The media did not sit there and, and say the mayor Bowser should resign. You know, they said this is, you know, people are feeling their 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 moment right now. Please give me a break. I mean, that's why. Yeah, they, it was a bunch of teenagers or 20 year olds, probably a lot of them drunk, doing stupid things. It has nothing to do with the governor. The governor It was like the governor was there saying, you know, everyone chug a keg. I mean, everyone needs to relax. Speaking to Ryan Gerdusky, he's the author of They're Not Listening and a political analyst and writer. Uh, Ryan, now let's talk about immigration, because I'm. I'm feeling like people aren't really getting the message that the Democrats are not that they're not aligned on the fundamental issue here of of stopping this policy from allowing people to game the immigration system. They just don't like the optics of overcrowded facilities and people uh, doing this in a way where it's obvious what's going on. They have it seems to me the Democrats just want to make this less obvious into the to the, the Chamber of Commerce, which you brought up before. There are Republican and there are there are, you know, swamp interests that do want to see this continue. Uh, oh, I think people have, have this assumption that, like, it's a crisis. Oh, well, we all want it to be dealt with the same way. There are a lot of people that would say, oh, well, do we have enough enough beds and enough facilities for everybody who's coming? Well, then the crisis is over. Sure. We're just processing people now. The most indicative thing was that there was two votes for an amnesty last week. Um, you had you had 30 Republicans join uh, join every Democrat for a farm workers amnesty, which was explicitly created to not punish businesses that hired illegal labor, to explicitly make sure that wages were depressed in the farm industry and that they never had to mechanize. This is this is outrageous. And then there was another bill on the DACA Dream Amnesty, which had nine Republicans join it. So I think that and, and Senator Rick Scott, who is the head of the NRSC, has been floating. He's been asking other senators to join a legalization bill for illegal aliens. No, I, I don't think that they do get it at all. Um, I don't think they, they don't. I don't think they understood. You know, the base. Most Republican electors don't understand the base whatsoever. But the Democrats, they're not. This is not a question of two sides trying to figure out a humanitarian way to deal with a crisis and to um, and to uh, you know protect the border. This is one side that is literally like we shouldn't have a border. Anyone who gets to the, or to get, gets into America should become should be allowed to live here. They should be allowed to vote here um, because they vote 70, 30 um, Democrat. You know, as I said this over and over and over again in 2016, Trump won a plurality of the vote with people who vote who were born in America, where he lost the vote were foreign born people. They know it's a countdown to how how long till they get to how many more people till they get Arizona permanent blue, Texas, North Carolina, Georgia and Florida. And it, and it's Democratic presidents. The whole country becomes California. They know that it is a countdown. That is why people like, you know, Dianne Feinstein, uh, Chuck Schumer. These, uh, you know, these were all people who were against mass amnesty and mass immigration less than 20 years ago. Hillary Clinton used to be talking about it. Bernie Sanders talked about it. Um, it they, they only changed their opinion once they saw the vote totals and say, we can make sure 
that we have the entire Southwest and Southern part of the United States, Democrat forever, will have Democrat presidents from here on out. It's about power and it's about, and also by the way, they're all corporatists too. They all have corporate donors or whatsoever. It's not like corporations only don't belong to Republicans. They're all basically giving to both parties. Um, so they're feeding off their Democratic donors and they know they can get the vote and get it for long enough and they will hold power forever. One thing I think is fascinating, and we're speaking to Ryan Gerdusky, a political writer and an analyst, uh, Ryan, is that the Mayorkas line on this, for example, what what and and the White House will have Jen Psaki and others come forward and they keep saying the border is not open. We turn people away. And I always want to ask, OK, why do you turn people away? You know, in one breath, it's these are four year olds who are swimming across the Rio Grande and we have an obligation and a humanitarian but then when people see what's actually happening in the facilities, and the numbers of people, the Democrats turn around and say, oh, no, but don't worry, we're actually sending most people away. And and it's well, first of all, what's the percentage? And second of all, based on the way the Democrat Party views this, why why do they send that? I mean, I know why well, I, I believe in rule of law. I believe that the, we have an immigration system that must be respected. They don't really believe that, though. So it seems to me like there's just a disingenuous when they try to when they try to calm the issue down by saying, Oh, don't worry. We're, we're, we're still deporting people. Well, why why would Democrats do that based on the logic of their position? Do you see what I'm saying? Well, you know, they are turning people away under the under uh, President Trump's uh, health care act. Right. Under, the title 40 was the, uh, is it yeah. the title 42 issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, well, it's, it's so, so. But he what he did change was he's done two things. One, he's been saying, well, we'll take your children. So, you're, you're, you know, 15,000 kids per month is what we're expecting um, this month. So we'll take your children. Your children have to wait, and we'll reunite you eventually. And the other thing he's saying is we'll stand by. Stand by, and we'll get to you. And he said that throughout the entire campaign. He said it as president. Um, He says we're working on making the system more just. So it's just basically a waiting game because they know he's going to do it. And just – I mean it was this Sunday that ABC reporter Martha Raddatz talked to one of the – uh, migrants and said, well, did you come here because Biden is president? He said, yes, I wouldn't have come under Trump. It is an attitude thing. When they perceive, and, and trust me, the coyotes and the human smugglers tell them, this president is going to be easy on you. You can get in. And, and you, know, at, you know, at this point, it's just two things baffle my mind. One, I don't understand why, I don't understand the optics, uh, and I don't know why they haven't been hit harder, that Democrat, uh, that this Democratic president made American troops reservists sleep on a concrete cold floor in a parking lot in Washington D.C., but he's paying eighty-six million dollars to a month to sit there and house illegal aliens in hotels. And then the other thing I don't understand is who keeps paying for these Biden twenty twenty T-shirts that these migrants are wearing. I just I would love to know how all these migrants are wearing Biden T-shirts. I mean, it wasn't the Biden campaign shipping these off to to Central America. So I, those two things sit there and, and, and question my mind. But fundamentally, they don't view. I mean, Nancy Pelosi said that, you know, illegal aliens are like the founding fathers. They don't view um, these people in any context where they are breaking the law. They don't believe this is a law. Well, that's what so, I meant to get to, though, about why they're turning people away. They don't really think they should have to turn people away. They, they just say this. I mean, the Democrat mindset today, the Democrat Party believes that immigrants, there is only positive from taking in immigrants. 
If, oh, if you yeah. speak, oh, they're better than Americans in every way. Right, they're they better than Americans. And, and if you have yeah. any problem with people crossing into the country illegally, any problem with overwhelming assimilation in this country, with taking in, we already taken a million a year legally. We're going to take now, you know, maybe a half a million through this process at the border. Who knows what the number is actually going to be? And if you have any problem with that, you're a bad person. Oh, this year it'll probably be two million yeah. illegally. Yeah. No, it'll be it'll be un, unbelievable the high numbers um, because of what Biden has done and his administration. And they just they don't have Mayorkas is completely incapable of handling the situation. And you're seeing a, a splintering of both um, uh, Democrats on the border, Gonzalez, representatives Gonzalez and Kuehler, who are calling this a crisis. Joe Manchin is now calling this a crisis. They realize these numbers. Immigration, uh, the OH uh, uh, predictive pollster, it was a pretty good pollster for the state of Arizona. Immigration is now the number one issue in Arizona. Not COVID, not jobs, immigration. Uh, this is going to be, and it's going to be very, very, very bad for Democrats. Yeah, I was going to say, is this going to cost them in the midterms, your estimation? Ryan, uh, speaking to Ryan Gurdusky, political analyst. Go ahead, Ryan. They're going to lose the House 100 percent. I don't see any which way. The only way that they can hope that the House manages to change is if uh, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court gets involved to gerrymander Pennsylvania for the Democrats. But and, and 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 they gerrymander in New York. But other than that, they're losing the House. I mean, it's just it's all but guaranteed for the Democrats at this point. Uh, their numbers are so bad. Uh, it's the you know the first midterm of a presidential cycle. It's always bad for them. But on immigration, it's going to be a complete disaster. And what Americans don't like is they don't like when you te- when when you're hypocritical on the laws you pass. The fact that Americans' kids still cannot go to school because the New York public not the New York but but the public teachers unions across the country, including New York, they still cannot go to school. But illegal alien migrant children, they get to go to school. They get to go in person schooling. So yep. they just they cannot live with the hypocrisy of this administration. I hope they pay a big price for this one, but we'll see. Ryan Gordusk, everybody. Ryan, thanks so much for joining, man. Great to have you. Thank you. So uh, to the extent that we can help solve some of the problems at home and instead of canceling that investment, which the Trump administration canceled the investment uh, that we had to do just that. I wish you could see the impact of what USAID can do to help children in those countries. So so that is to back up again and say that Biden administration has this under control. It will take it is change and it'll take some time, but it is values based, humanitarian in its aspects, pragmatic in how to with a plan to get things done and um, uh, not just a diversionary tactic on the part of the Republicans because they are bankrupt of ideas on how to improve the lives of the American people. They run to the border. Yeah. Nancy Pelosi here, folks, telling you, oh, it's all going to be fine. Just, you know, give it time. And and something mutter mutter. Yeah, yeah, it's about the, you know, what I really care about is the children. You know, Nancy always, always finds her way to talk about the children. You know, this is I've never heard a politician that that when she doesn't have a good argument is faster to make it about how she really just wants to help the children. Sure, yeah, Nancy Nancy cares a whole a whole heck of a lot. They've created a terrible situation on the border. We can all see it. We all know what's going on. And yet, what are we actually figuring out about all of this? What are we actually learning about all of this? It's only going to get worse. It's not going to get better. 
how is it going to get better when their their goal is to make the process easier and more comfortable for the migrants who are crossing and and to make it so that they're more likely to you know be in a comfortable a more a better facility i mean they're spending 80 million dollars on ho- they're spending 80 million dollars taking that's a lot of money to put migrants in hotels in hotels that that's where we are now show up in america break you know come in illegally Try to game the system. We'll put you up in a hotel and then we'll let you go and do whatever you want to do. That's the Democrat version of having this issue in hand. And you can't ignore the politics of this. You can't ignore what this is going to mean over the long term. If if foreign born people voted more frequently for Republicans and Democrats, Nancy Pelosi would be standing at the border waving, waving Border Patrol after people saying, you know, go get them, arrest them. You know, if foreign born individuals in general who come into the country illegally um, were not inclined, especially after an amnesty, to vote in favor of Democrats, they would have a very different view of this situation. We all know it. I mean, you think Nancy Pelosi really cares about what's going on in Central America? Nancy Pelosi doesn't care about what's going on in, you know, poor parts of Oakland, not far from her district. Right. Nancy Pelosi lives in a mansion and it's all about her and her power. And, you know, she, she's not she's not some really kind, thoughtful person that wants to help all the impoverished masses of the world because she's so sweet and loving. It's because it consolidates her power. The show ain't over yet, folks. It's time for Roll Call. Producer Mark, everybody, producer Mark, tell us exciting tales. From the world, according to producer Mark, what is going on? What is happening, my man? Well, uh, I mean, it's a big week uh, weekend, I guess, in the world of sports. I'm curious, uh, more curious if you have an, even a clue what event is going on. Uh, yeah, it's the the Spring Olympics, obviously. I mean, kind of. March Madness, maybe you've heard of it. Oh, yes, 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 March Madness. That's a thing. That's a thing. So... Yeah. How's Rutgers doing, by the way? Uh, Rutgers uh, lost last night in heartbreaking fashion, actually. They uh, had a chance to go to the Sweet 16. I don't know if the first time ever, first time in a long time, they were up late and then ended up losing. And uh, it was a heartbreaker for sure. Yeah. But there's been a lot of upsets. There's a 15 seed Oral Roberts is in the Sweet 16. Oral Roberts is a college? Yes. They I, thought are it was from... a tooth... I thought it was a toothpaste. Yes, that's what everyone says as well. And yeah. they'll be facing Arkansas in the next round, which is funny. Oral Roberts in Arkansas. Uh, okay. You know, uh, Bill Clinton's home. Mm, okay. I got, I got you. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. All right. Producer Mark, settle down. I figured I would make a political joke. Yeah. To, go if for we've it. in the sports, you know, why not? I, so I tried to get the snow, the snow princess and I watched. And, uh, you know, she's, I, I was, I was in charge of Tallulah this weekend again. She, Tallulah's actually with me now, the French bulldog. For anybody who doesn't know, uh, Deborah is the girlfriend. Tallulah is the French bulldog. And and we tried to watch a new show. It was called Zero, Zero, Zero on Amazon. It's OK. We're kind of getting it. But but she she was it was a little intense. It's like drug cartels, a lot of violence. So she wanted to switch. I said, all right, so let's just find something we can both watch. And of course, because, you know, happy snow princess, happy life. Uh, I We find some movie on it was on Netflix and it, it has one of the women from Sex in the City in it, 
And I, I can't really explain it other than it's kind of a a thriller about a really pretty um, babysitter who's like 20, who is kind of crazy and like has a split personality thing. Anyway, and, and we, we watched this thing and I will tell you, it got it started out like it wasn't going to be that bad. Like, I just wanted to lie on the couch, you know, drink my tea, be with the girlfriend and the French bulldog and be happy. Uh, I didn't really care what we were watching. And and this wasn't her choice, but this was we tried to find that sweet spot for what a guy and a gal could watch together. And I figured, all right, you know, well, this this will have to do. And we turned this thing on and people remember people paid money for this. OK, it's called. Oh, my gosh, I can't I can't even remember what this thing is called. Um, you know what? I've got to while we're here, I've got to look it up. It's the Kristen Davis um, from Sex in the City. And it's so, so Deadly Illusions. Uh, Deadly Illusions, it's called. Producer Mark, I'm not, it is so bad. It is so, so bad. I mean, just from your description, it, I'm wondering why you even chose it. Uh, well, I mean, you know, it looked like a thriller and, you know, it wasn't going to be. I mean, at one point, they actually. They do the voiceover thing kind of where they make her voice sound all distorted and scary when she's going crazy. It's but it was great because it, it got to that point. The reason I'm talking about it is it got to that point as, as a movie where it was so bad that I was actually laughing out loud. Like it it jumped the shark to the point where it became hilarious toward the end. You're like, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. Like this is now it's like a bunch of bad, you know, college actors or something got together to make a whole movie. It's just so bad. So. And it's on. It was on Netflix. I'm sure they probably you know spent twenty million dollars to make this piece of trash. It was a Netflix original. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. They're they're very hit or miss with the Netflix. Very movies. hit or miss. Yeah. Very hit or miss. But There's so much. Somebody likes it. There's got to be somebody out there that enjoyed that movie. Well, I think a lot of ladies will just watch it for the uh, the Sex and the City lady, uh, Kristen Davis, because she has quite a following from from that show. Um, and she's a bit, you know, she's probably in her 50s now. She's a little bit older uh, than she was back in the Sex and the City days. Um, some of the gentlemen watching this would probably like the, um, she's playing college age, but she, you know, like 20, I think she says, or 21 she is in the show. And, you know, she's probably like 27 or something. Some of the uh, the, the dudes out there might enjoy that aspect of the movie because she is, um, you know, people might, some people would think, I'm not saying me, Obviously, I only have eyes for one, but some people may think that uh, she's aesthetically pleasing. So of the of some of the, the the guys out there. So I'm just saying it didn't seem like it was going to be one of the worst. I mean, it's one of the worst movies I've ever seen. I will say that. But it, it was so bad that it was funny. It's bad in the way that Leprechaun five Leprechaun in the hood is bad. For those who are wondering, that's a real movie, by the way. Hmm. The, the Leprechaun actually at one point is in a hip hop club smoking a I believe smoking a blunt in the bathroom that's a thing that happens I mean it's a really bad movie but you know sometimes sometimes so bad it's good is the thing that's all I'm trying to say is it like Jack and Jill bad what is that oh the Adam Sandler movie where he plays his own twin sister um no oh, but bad. Adam Adam Sandler you know went from went from greatness uh, in the comedy world to there are movies that I think even he would admit that he wished that he could probably erase from existence. I think that's a real thing. Uh, some of them are re- really, really bad. Um, 
I try to just remember the ones from the. Hey yeah, Man. just the just the the best one of all time is Adam Sandler movie. What is it? Uh, hmm. I don't know how I choose here. I'm always partial to Big Daddy because I loved that when I was a kid. Yeah, I go Happy Gilmore. That's a solid choice. I, I could say Happy The Gilmore. Water Boy. Also, I really love yeah. that one. But like, I feel like the most quotable, the most outrageous, the one that really sticks in your mind the most. You know, I mean, it had Bob Barker for heaven's sakes. It's ha- Happy Gilmore. Um, and that big guy who's like, and I'll see you in the parking lot. Remember that? Yeah. So Happy Gilmore is a good one. All right, all right. Let's let's get into roll call. That's what we came here for. That's what we're gonna do. All right, diving into our roll call. Remember, Facebook.com/slash Buck Sexton. If you want to be a part, you send a message there, or the email is teambuck at iheartmedia.com. You could also send us a direct message on. Instagram at Buck Sexton, and uh, that's that's how we pull our our roll call together. We really appreciate all of you uh, continuing to send in your thoughts. Uh, it's roll call for some people I've heard from is actually one of their favorite parts of the show. Uh, a lot of people tell me it's uh, it's opening monologue and then roll call for them actually, and and I would say um, please do continue to give us ratings on the uh, in the Apple Podcast Store for the Buck Sexton Podcast. That's been really helpful, and and please give us five stars. Tell us why you like the show, what what do you think is, is good about this show, and that really helps us out. And pass the buck, our, our continuous campaign, pass the buck. Tell people, hey, you should listen to this guy. He is worth your time. Uh, I don't think there's a stronger radio show out there right now, and I think if you the more people, our issue is not do people like this show. Our issue is just getting more and more people to know about the show across the country. Because then this becomes their show. I don't, but I don't have a you know five million dollar or even a one million dollar marketing budget. I have no marketing budget. I mean, I just do a show. So we we do a show and and people spread the word about it. And what the reason we keep growing is because our ratings in every market we're in, our ratings are really strong. People listen, right? And we thank all of our affiliates for uh, for carrying the show, and and also uh, everybody who's listening on digital, whether it's on the iHeartRadio app or or to the podcast. So. Richard writes, I enjoy the show every day, no exceptions. I utilize the podcast for convenience. I listen in the early afternoons when I used to listen to Rush. I encourage others to listen and pass along the Buck webpage when I have the opportunity. Well, Richard, that is so helpful, and we really do appreciate it. So thank you very much for that. I live in the mountains of North Carolina, west of the Marxist enclave known as Asheville. This is a conservative area in a very purple state. A substantial art scene and more breweries per capita than any location in the U.S. Not far from the National Park and minutes from the Blue Ridge Parkway. If Team Buck wants to make a trip to this version of God's country, I can guarantee you great scenery, hiking, angling, and good barbecue with relative anonymity. Definitely better than what you've endured on the coast. Have you tried Brunswick stew? Some folks may recognize your voice, but even your great hair will not disclose your identity. You should give hockey viewing a try. Mark is correct. However, watch the Blackhawks, not the New York teams. Keep up the good work. All right, Mark, to you first. The Blackhawks, what's going on here? Uh, I mean, Chicago was a dynasty for a while, but they're in a bit of a rebuild. They're not so good anymore. So, ah, okay. Uh, not the team I... H- how big it, like like a Bulls, Lakers, Patriots kind of dynasty or not quite there? Uh, I mean, hockey is so um, different in terms of, like, you're never going to get that dominant team like you would in basketball that'll win five in a row, but you'll win three championships in seven years. So I that's a you. hockey dynasty. Fair enough. All right. Well, that's what Richard's like. By the way, I looked at, did you see what uh, Yankees tickets are going for? Like, 
way, way deep in, you know, upper upper deck territory or whatever because of all the distancing and everything else. The tickets on like four hundred dollars for like a bad for a bad seat. Well, I'm guessing you're looking at like the secondary market, not directly from the Yankees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, because it's only twenty percent percent capacity. Right. Supply. So I'm just demand. saying it's yeah, yeah. No, I know, but I'm just saying that people they they think they can get four hundred. I mean, you can sit, you know, up where like buzzards are going to be ten feet above your head, like that part of the upper deck, and you're paying four hundred dollars or something like that a ticket for the Yankee Stadium right now, which to me is just nuts. I, I will wait until it's more affordable and bigger capacity to go to a Mets game. I wouldn't. I'm not definitely not going to a Yankee game in the middle of a pandemic. I you definitely know. don't think you're going to pay $400 to go see a Yankee game no. in the middle of the pandemic. Too. It's not worth it for me. It'll reduce capacity to the Yankee what game. Would you, what would your New York baseball Mets think about that? You know, they would be very yeah, sad. Exactly. If I'm going to spend money and take the time and, you know, go through all the process that is going to a sporting event right now, I'm going to do it for the Mets. Fair enough. And, Richard, as for the mounds of North Carolina, sounds great. Although, interesting that you say that Asheville is a Marxist enclave. I thought I thought Asheville wouldn't be... That left wing, but, you know, what do I know? Learning about this stuff all the time. Mark, not to be confused with producer Mark, first listening you out in Panama City after Hurricane Michael in 2018. You seem to make a lot of sense talking about the Iranian drone shootdown. Later, hearing you talk about your time in Iraq, I knew we'd had some of the same experiences. Anyway, you're doing the Lord's work fighting back against COVID silliness. silliness. You keep talking up Florida. How about visiting Georgia sometime where I live now? It's going to need a lot of work to keep it from going blue. Our governor is quietly keeping the economy open and running things fairly well. It's not going to go well if it goes south, but no one's talking about this. Love producer Mark and try listening to some Dua Lipa. She's not bad. What is Dua Lipa? Dua Lipa oh. is a current pop artist. Really? Yes. I had never heard of that before. All right. So it's a female singer. Yeah, no, I, I get that. I mean, yeah. I figured that was probably the case, but do you... Do you uh, celebrate Dua Lipa's whole catalog? Uh, I mean, I know a couple of her songs, but, you know, I'm not really a fan of anyone that's new and current. Yeah, that makes you know I mean? that makes sense. Um, and then as for uh, Georgia, I I always tell you guys I love Savannah. I think Savannah is a gem of a, of a town. That's really the only place in Georgia I've been in recent years. I haven't been to Georgia much. I was in Atlanta for one night, maybe four years ago and barely got any real Atlanta time in. And then, uh, yeah. And then I've had, uh, I I've been to Savannah. I think I've been to Savannah two or three times in the last four years. So I really, I really do enjoy Savannah a lot though. Great food, great people, such a, a pretty town. And uh, I like all the, uh, the ghost story lore and all that as well. That's kind of fun. You know, Savannah, Charleston, New Orleans. Those are three of my favorite places, uh, in that part of the I know that's covering a lot of territory, but in that part of the country. So you ever been there, producer Mark, those, those places to Savannah, Georgia? No, yeah. I have been to, uh, near Augusta, yeah. Georgia, but I haven't been anywhere, uh, to Savannah. No. Yeah. Here we are at Augusta, big hitter, the llama flowing robes. Remember that? No. Yes. Okay. I, I get it. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying. All right. Uh, Jim Bucker, producer Mark. I catch you on iHeartRadio on KFBX 970 in Fairbanks, Alaska. Woo! Up in Alaska, baby. That's how we like it. You and Tucker Carlson are the two voices I go to these days. I miss uh, I miss the greatest of all time rush, but you two carry the baton admirably. Public speaking courses 
almost without fail, discourage distracting filler words like uh and um while speaking. It's becoming increasingly difficult to listen to Saki's press conference when practically every other word is uh and um. My impression is that she's either lying or just making it up as she goes. Rhetorically, uh, how do people this inept get to these positions? Shields high. Jim, I and I don't say this to be to be mean. I honestly don't understand how Jen Psaki is the White House press secretary. Um, see, I just did an um. But I but see, that was a I need to pause to think. Um, that wasn't a filler word. Um, quite the same way. I really did have to um for a minute there. I don't have an answer as to how she has that job. It, it strikes me as strange that she's in that uh, that role. Uh, she was the State Department spokeswoman before. So, yeah, uh, now she's the White House, uh, White House press secretary. So, you know, there was a really interesting article I saw over the weekend about all the people that were in the Biden. I mean, in the Obama administration who now have become really rich. Uh, as a result of what they got. See, I just did an other. Now I'm very aware of it. As a result of what they got in terms of corporate connections and board seats and speaker fees and all these things after being in the uh, after being in the Obama White House or tied to the Obama administration. So it's a big it's big business, big money for folks. Uh, that's Jen Psaki also went from almost no, according to this, the financial disclosures, almost no net assets, net worth, what's it was something like uh, 50, you know, 30 to 50, 30 to 100 grand in total assets, I think is what she listed when she went to work at the State Department. So and look, I've been there before. I was I remember being 30 years old. And I think I had like two grand in my name. Um, but now she's worth a few million dollars, I think. So, I was like, oh, OK, that's a, it's a nice career move. Go work at the uh, work at the White House. Chrissy writes question. Who's really running the White House? What a mess in 60 days our country's become. This is brutal especially when Harris removes Biden. Uh, Chrissy, I, I say it on BucksExton.com today. Go check it out. I mean, this is the I told you so part of the Biden presidency. Uh, this is where we said, yeah, this is what's going to happen. And it's happening as we said it would. And the Democrats just don't care. They have their guy. They think they're getting their way to them. That is ultimately what matters. Everything else, everything else really just just uh, feels like noise to them. So I, I think we should all be very uh, clear-eyed about that. And this is about power, folks. This is about control. We're going to have another great show for you tomorrow and every day this week. Until then, Shields High.